Tennessee has a problem, an NCAA problem, but they shouldn't. You are Locked On College Football, your daily podcast on all things college football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On College Football. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is your top source to stay up to date with the biggest stories in the greatest sport on planet Earth. Coaching carousel, realignment portal, we've got it all right here. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets. If your first bet of just $5 or more wins, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Tennessee Dabo Sweeney hot seat discussion. Are we going to do that right now? We're going to do that today or will we on uh, the show a little bit later? And Michigan State, did Jonathan Smith make an error going to East Lansing? All coming up today here on the show. But We start with Tennessee. So the volunteers are under investigation from the NCAA for alleged NIL violations. And the reason that this becomes so paramount is that because it has happened within a particular time frame, Tennessee is in danger of being repeat violators of the NCAA's NIL rules, which are about as clear to you and me as, mm, I don't know, honors calculus at this point in time. I don't care if you took calculus in high school, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to try and take a complicated derivative right now. I know that I certainly wouldn't be able to. So I look at this NCAA situation and and I'm just asking myself, what, what is it you do here? More on them in a moment. This could be an issue for Tennessee. This could be an issue for Tennessee because of the repeat violators clause. Now, Tennessee has pushed back on this vehemently. Now, they they have made the case that the NCAA rules are not clear. And the statement that they have put out or statements that they have put out regarding this matter of the investigation make it clear they feel how many of you probably feel, which is, hey, what exactly are the rules? Are there rules? I didn't know there were rules. What are the guidelines? What... I thought this was the Wild West. I thought everyone could do what they want. There are apparently some rules and regulations. Tennessee doesn't feel that they're being uniformly and evenly applied and that they're being singled out. Similar to how Michigan felt with the whole sign-stealing scandal. They felt, hey, we're not the only ones doing this. Why are you coming after us? You got a vendetta against our head coach? Well, congratulations, NCAA. You drove him out of the sport and off to the NFL. Here's what Tennessee said that was the most glaring to me. Quote, it is intellectually dishonest for the NCAA staff to issue guidelines that say a third-party collective slash business may meet with prospective student-athletes, that's high school recruits, discuss NIL, even enter into a contract with prospective student-athletes, but at the same time say that the collective may not engage in conversations that would be of a recruiting nature. Any discussion about NIL might factor into a prospective student-athlete's decision to attend an institution. This creates an inherently unworthy workable situation and everyone knows it. Pete Thamel has a layout of this over at ESPN. But Tennessee, whether or not they should have this problem, they do have this problem. And this is not one, again, because of the repeat violator clause that that would have zero ramifications for the coming college football season. Because these accusations are being levied against Tennessee's primary NIL collective. And Nico Iamaleava, who's scheduled to be Tennessee's starting quarterback, big-time five-star recruit in uh, in the 2023 class, 
He's going to be the starting quarterback in all likelihood for the Vols come this fall. And he's at the center of this. Would he be involved? No, probably not. NIL violations tend to get tied back to a school or the sign stealing scandal at Michigan was tied back to the school and the coaches, the players don't tend to be punished there because the NCAA would look even worse than, than they already do. And so the other matter at hand are representation agreements, which is what Tennessee kind of hinted at of, hey, if, if you're saying that this collective can go talk to this kid and engage in the, what do you mean it can't be used as a recruiting tool? Of course it's being used as a, as a recruiting tool. This could prove, into a problem, prove to be a problem for Tennessee. Could they have a postseason ban? I don't know. I don't know what the NCAA is going to do because the NCAA continues to show they're an organization that in college football should just go away. They should just go away. I continue to ask myself when it comes to college football, not college basketball. Okay, they run March Madness, a beautiful, glorious, wonderful product. We can thank them for that at some level. But in college football, what is it they do here? They're they're not putting a check on conference realignment. They're letting schools do whatever they want, you know, most of the time, except in this instance with Tennessee, when it comes to NIL. They're they're doing crazy things with a transfer portal to make it hard on college coaches and everyone. The calendar is completely messed up. They don't negotiate media rights contracts. They don't make moves at an overarching level that are in the best interests of the sport, its fans, players, coaches, and everybody involved. All they do is come in when someone has theoretically or possibly violated a rule and they hand out suspensions. They do that and then they go and look at players who they could not allow to play because of a waiver and make themselves even more unpopular. I mean, you you talk about being a poorly run mega organization, borderline corporation. I don't know what you want to call them here because they're, I believe, a nonprofit, whatever. They don't do anything for the sport of college football. They yielded power to the conferences. The conferences have yielded it to the television networks. And those are the two entities running the sport. Conferences and the presidents that run them and the television executives. That's how we've gotten into this wacky world of realignment in which Stanford and Cal are going to be in the ACC and Oregon and Washington with USC and UCLA are going to be in the Big Ten. The, The NCAA does nothing for college football. And if you're a Tennessee fan, you should be absolutely livid about this. And if anything comes down that is significant for the volunteers, that affects their ability to recruit or to compete in 2024, or there's a postseason ban or anything, they should be absolutely ticked off. Arizona State was the most recent victim of this. They were handed down recruiting violations and sanctions stemming from a previous staff with individuals that are no longer there. And before the year, they went to that Sun Devil staff. Now, they weren't going to make a bowl game anyway, but they told them, oh, by the way, you can't play in a bowl game this year because of what people did at a time when you were not here and they are not going to be held accountable in any way, shape, or form. But you are Kenny Dillingham and your new staff. That's that's what's going to happen. By the way, Kenny Dillingham, watch for Arizona State in the Big 12. They're not going to contend, but they can make some noise. I think that for Tennessee, they should be absolutely ensconced with this. Because what is being alleged here about a collective, you know, recruiting a high school kid to a particular school, just 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 ask yourself this question. 
ask yourself this question. And if you can answer the question, honestly, yes, you probably don't know that much about college football. Do you think that this is the only NIL collective in the country that has done something like this? Do you think it's the only one doing something like this actively as I record or you listen to or watch this show? The answer is, of course, no. No one with a brain who knows college football thinks that this is the case. Why is Tennessee being singled out? I don't know. Maybe because they'd be a repeat violator and the NCAA could once again try to grasp to a, a, a disappearing level of relevance in the sport of college football, which is the biggest television product in the United States outside of the NFL. That's all that this feels like as they're trying. This is the only way they can be relevant because they don't do anything else. They do absolutely nothing else. And for them to, I hope they come down as soft as possible on Tennessee. Because guess what? I as a college football fan and you as a college football fan should not care a lick. I do not care one iota that an NIL collective was out there making a pitch uh, apparently to Nico Iamaleava, hey, you should come here. Who cares? Everybody's doing it. You said NIL's allowed. You said you could do this now. This is what you got. And you can't enforce the rules here and not enforce them there and enforce them inconsistently and then come back and say, see, we're doing this the right way. No, nobody believes that. Nobody believes that. This is the world of college football. If you want to rein it in, you got to have more than just, you know, a suspension that you could lobby at Tennessee, which I don't even know what they're thinking about right now. We'll have to wait and see on that. You got to have more than this. You, 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 you can't just willy nilly at your discretion decide who gets punished and who doesn't. It's a completely and utterly ridiculous system. Tennessee could be in real trouble here. That's why I'm talking about it on today's show. Should they be? Absolutely not. Dabo Sweeney could be in trouble at Clemson. Should he be? Absolutely not. No trouble going over to FanDuel, though. That's something that you can say for yourself because it's really easy to get over there. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58 between the 49ers and the Chiefs, a rematch of five years ago, four years ago, something like that. FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers, join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Does Dabo Sweeney need to win the ACC to avoid hot seat conversations? Dabo Sweeney has been fantastic for the Clemson football program and just went 9-4 and four in what was a wildly disappointing year. It's their worst season over there in Clemson, South Carolina since wait for it, 2010 in which they went 6-7. and seven. That's the last time they didn't win double-digit games 
with Dabo Sweeney at the helm. The ACC going into this year is not particularly strong. I think they have a better chance in the Big 12 to get two teams into the college football playoff. That doesn't mean it's a great chance. In all likelihood, the ACC and the Big 12 are one-bid leagues. Clemson could be one of those teams, though, because they'll get a level of brand recognition and respect that other teams might not if it comes down to a subjective vote of which team has the better season, who do we want in the playoff, etc., etc. Can't wait to do that in the 12-team era when everyone, you know, thought, that the 12 team era would fix all that. Yeah, we're just going to have those conversations again, just stretched out, stretched out to who makes the 12 team college football playoff. But I digress. So for Dabo Sweeney, he didn't make the ACC championship game a season ago. He's only won the ACC one time in the last three years. He's won it seven out of the last nine, but that's being thrown out the window because Transfer Portal, the Transfer Portal, and NIL are such key components of college football that Dabo Sweeney, an old school kind of guy, doesn't really feel like messing around with a whole ton. Those are elements that make things look worse at Clemson than they actually are. There is not a single other school, not even the University of Alabama, that would look at not having a non-10-win season since 2010, winning nine games after an 8-4 and four regular season, and would look to say, is a coach on the hot seat. But going into this season, Dabo Sweeney has built Clemson into a perennial ACC power, where that is the standard. And the interesting component about any talk of Dabo Sweeney getting to the hot seat cannot be made until this season comes to a close. Because no one has a perfect year all the time. No one is a national title contender every single year, not even Nick Saban. Nick Saban just two seasons ago was beating up on Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl. He wasn't in the college football playoff. There were no hot seat discussions. There were over-exaggerated reports of his decline. Of course, he retired this year after he made the college football playoff again with a team that was far from the best one he ever fielded down there in Tuscaloosa. But Dabo Sweeney has reset the standard and the expectations at Clemson for what they should be achieving every single year. And as you look at this ACC, it is not incredibly strong. There are a couple of good teams at the top. There are a couple of solid teams, but it is not exactly the Big Ten or the SEC. Heck, I don't even know if it has the competitive depth of the Big 12. I just think you have stronger teams and brands at the top, Clemson and Florida State most notably. But We are going to know how Clemson fans will feel about Dabo Sweeney truly when the season ends, when the season actually has a chance to play out. It's not going to be judged in week one because they have a road game. It's a neutral site game in, you know, Atlanta, Georgia against the Georgia Bulldogs. If Dabo Sweeney wins that game, in what world is there going to be any discussion of the hot seat? I don't think they're going to win that game. Georgia's very good. So let's say they start 0-1. Then they go Appalachian State, and, and then they play NC State, and then and then they play, you know, at Florida State. Uh, that's that's going to be a big game after they play Stanford, of course. That NC State game could fly under the radar. It's in Clemson, South Carolina, Death Valley. Tough place to play. But NC State, they're feeling pretty good after the 2023 2023 season they just had under under coach Doran there so Clemson should start three and one they'll have three straight home games after that game against Georgia and then they go at Florida State and then they go at Wake Forest but then the rest of their schedule is Virginia at home Louisville at home 
at Virginia Tech, at Pitt, not exactly the toughest places to go play given the caliber of, of opponents there. And then they host the Citadel, end of season cupcakes, and then they host South Carolina, who's, who's coming off a losing season. A lot of urgency there for Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks. That's a very manageable schedule. Here's the thing. If Clemson were to lose its two biggest games of the year and win the rest of them, in no way, shape, or form would Dabo Sweeney be on the hot seat, or at least he shouldn't be on the hot seat. Because I got news for you. If Clemson has wins against a good NC State team, and they dominate everybody else, and maybe they lose close to either Georgia or Florida State, both of which are away from Death Valley, and they end the season 10-2, and they're probably into the ACC championship game. Probably. But let's, let's say there's a crazy world. Let's say there's a crazy world in which Florida State and somehow somebody else gets in to the ACC title game. That's, that's unlikely. So actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retract that hypothetical and go with this one. If Clemson makes it to the ACC title game at 10-2, and two, with their only loss being to Florida State, let's say they lost to Florida State again in the ACC title game. Do you think Clemson at 10-3 and three would get left out of the playoff? They could. They could. They absolutely could. But is a 10-win regular season something you're going to fire a coach over? Absolutely not. Not when it is the guy who has reset the standard to where you could even consider, to where you could even ponder the notion that 10 regular season, regular season wins is not enough. Would you rather it be 11 if they canceled the Georgia game and scheduled Cupcake State instead? Would that, would that make you feel better there? The way those Florida State and Georgia games play out matter a great deal. And here's the other thing. If Dabo Sweeney beats Florida State, he's making the ACC title game. I don't think he's going to beat Georgia. But if they're good enough to hang with Georgia and beat Florida State on the road, and they were to go 11-1 this year with Kate Klubnick back at quarterback, second year under offense coordinator Garrett Riley, who I think is really good, did not have the season they wanted to a year ago. No one's going to argue with you there. But if Clemson hits their ceiling, they go 11-1 and and their only losses to Georgia. If they lose the ACC title game, they're in the playoff. They will absolutely, positively be in the playoff. So no, Dabo Sweeney does not need to win the ACC in order to avoid the hot seat discussion. Does he need to make the ACC championship game with that schedule? Absolutely he does. But win the ACC? No, that, that is not a requirement for him right there. And it comes back to expectations. This is the guy who's reset the standard. He's reset what can be done at Clemson. When he doesn't quite live up to a 14-1, and 15-0 sort of year, you got to think real long and hard about who you'd want instead of him. Because ask yourself this question if you're thinking, nope, the game is passing Dabo Sweeney by. Who do you want to hire? Give me a list of names that are going to be better than a guy who just went 9-4 and four and everyone's calling him a bum. There are not a lot of coaches that win nine games and, 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 and get called a disappointment. Dabo Sweeney did a year ago. I don't know that that is the most logical way to examine him coaching. Should they make the ACC title game? Absolutely. If they don't, should there be hot seat talk? Not unless it is a sub-500, truly disaster of a football season. What's to expect at Michigan State? Speaking of Michigan State, did Jonathan Smith act too quickly? We'll talk about that next right here on Lockdown College Football. 
after we talk about Jace Medical. I know we come to sports to escape from some of the crazy realities of life, but can we take a minute just to talk about preparing for real life? Because it's there whether we like it or not. According to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right now in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade. That's not what you'd like to hear. I can't imagine more helpless feeling than than needing to have a certain medication and not being able to get it. Thankfully, Jace Medical is here to help. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial infections and illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, skin infections, among others. Stuff could happen to any of us. You want to be prepared. Visit jacemedical.com. Complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board certified physician and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. Go to jacemedical.com, use offer code locked on to get $20 off your order. To East Lansing we go, a new era for the Michigan State Spartans. Jonathan Smith did he make a mistake? Because here's the way I look at it. That's Matt Sheehan, by the way, joining me here, Locked On Michigan State Spartans, making his inaugural appearance here on Locked On College Football. Jonathan Smith took that Michigan State job right after they lost to Oregon in the game formerly and now once again known as the Civil War. But since then, jobs that came open and were subsequently filled included places like Washington, where he was an offensive coordinator. And Washington out west is where Jonathan Smith has really cut his teeth and whatnot. I think the argument is pretty doable. I think it's pretty reasonable to say by jumping at the first opportunity, he missed out on potentially landing a, a bigger job than Michigan State. And I'm in a corner here because, yeah, this is a hard debate to have from this side because, just like you said, familiarity with not just the West Coast, but specifically Washington. But as far as jumping at the first good opportunity, well, it's a hell of an opportunity. I mean, Michigan State, just in revenue, if that's something that gets you fired up, top 20 in the nation. Like, funds are not going to be an issue at Michigan State, and you have the brand-new football building that just opened up. So all the facilities, all the money, it's there to begin with. Now you go to the roster. There's a lot of things to say about Mel Tucker. It was not all sunshine and rainbows at the end of that tenure, but he did recruit some decent talent, some young talent that's still on this team. And one thing that Jonathan Smith did a great job with, which is what we'll get into in a little bit here, is retaining a lot of the roster that was in the portal. Not just, you know, portal players that were going because, oh, they couldn't find playing time at Michigan State or they weren't wanted anymore. Like, no, there were some guys that were Power 5 players being sought after by other Power 5 teams that he was able to retain. So whether it's facilities, what the roster already is right now, and, well, just the atmosphere of the Big Ten being one of those programs that are going to be one of the big 36 teams in the nation. It's it's not a bad first job to jump towards, uh, in my opinion. But, yeah, I can't sit here and be like, yeah, I'm sure. I, I do wonder if he goes to bed at night thinking, huh, yeah, maybe, maybe none of the months wait would have been there. But then again, there's no telling that that job was ever going to open. So Hindsight is always twenty twenty, and you can't know what – what what was going to happen, but but certainly, you know, he he's an odd fit at Michigan State. Doesn't mean it can't work, but just because he he doesn't have ties to the Big Ten the way he does out west. He's an Oregon yep. State alum. He's the OC at uh, at Washington. Like that's really where you know his footprint has really been as a coach. And he's going to a brand new area. He's got to you know uh, ingrain himself into a new fan base amongst people that maybe don't know him super well. Now at the end of the day. You know what makes you a good fit as a head coach? Winning football games. And Jonathan Smith 
has shown as a head coach he can win football games. He had Oregon State fans in a place where they were disappointed with an 8-4 and four season this year. That's a program that won one game the year before he right. got there. So the, the guy knows how to coach, and the guy knows how to be as well the number two program in the state. I, I mean, right. Oregon State was number two to Oregon for a long time and still is, but guess what? Michigan State, well, they haven't won a national championship. They haven't been right. to the playoff recently. They're number two to Michigan. So from that angle, it definitely do, does make some sense. But I just wonder if he looks at that Washington job and thinks, boy, I think the cupboards were probably a little bit more well-stocked there, even with DeBoer leaving and all the guys going to the NFL. I wonder if Smith wouldn't have been right. someone, uh, as opposed to what you know Jed Fish has done, who wouldn't have been able to step in and say, Hey, we, we want we want to build something here. We can win games, and if more guys wouldn't have stuck around, and I'd rather have Aiden Childs than Will Rogers as my quarterback. Yeah, and one thing that plays anywhere is just how he spots talent, once that fit his system, and develops them. And we're going back in the time machine here to the Mark D'Antonio days here at Michigan State. Now, it didn't work his entire career, of course. Uh, towards the end, it wasn't always sustainable to just recruit three stars over and over again. Hope that you hit a diamond in the rough and that they all developed the way that you would like. But in that middle stretch for D'Antonio, like, that was the golden age for modern-day Michigan State football. So on the offensive side, yes, that is a concern, that he is not regional whatsoever. But as a college game grows, like it is a more nat uh, national game, and he can pick and prod throughout the nation, which is already what he's been doing in the recruiting portal or the, the recruiting process. And then lending the defense to Joe Rossi, defensive coordinator who is at Minnesota, he's just really going to take the reins, and he is your Midwest guy. So as far as I know, Jonathan Smith, not really even going to touch the defensive side of the ball, and he's got the regional guy to do it. So just from yeah, what a what a just whiplash we've been doing from Mark D'Antonio. Okay, we're going to do regional three stars our kind of guys developed then then mel tucker which is like hey if you're not a highly ranked four star don't even step on this campus buster and now we're just back to the d'antonio days it's like, like i just i hope this works somewhere in the middle which there's reason to believe that it could so. I, I i think there absolutely is and the offseason for michigan state so far has been solid top 20 transfer portal class in college football yeah. Headlined by Aiden Childs, who was billed as the quarterback of the future in Corvallis, is going to be that for the Spartans in East Lansing. We'll get to their schedule in in just a moment, but Childs is the name that stands out. He's one of the most highly coveted transfer portal players this offseason. He goes with his head coach and OC. And by the way, I'm glad you brought up that defensive coordinator hire coming over from Minnesota because Oregon State took a step forward and won mm -hmm. 10 games for the first time since 2006 when Trent Bray, now Oregon State's yeah. head coach, was promoted to defensive coordinator and changed that side of the ball. So that's definitely an important aspect of this for Jonathan Smith when it comes to succeeding. But who else from the transfer portal or, or maybe the 2024 high school recruiting class has you excited about the prospects for this Michigan State team in 2024 outside of Aiden Childs, who's going to be the starting quarterback for the next couple of seasons? Well, I'm going to stick with the Beavers program. Sorry to all the Corvallis listeners out there, but Jack Valley, tight end, he caught the most touchdowns of any tight end last year. And Michigan State is a program that hasn't seen a dynamic tight end probably since they were in the playoff in 2015 with Josiah Price. It, it, it has been a long time since we've seen a productive tight end here. So you get Jack Valley, a guy that is familiar with the system, just ready to rock and roll from day one. But also, hey, let's talk about, you know, positions that lack sex appeal the trenches, the interior offensive line, because Tanner Miller, hey, midseason All-American, second-team All-American on ESPN.com, I believe the site uh, was. He transfers over here, too. 
Michigan State had some interior offensive line issues last year. I, I, I mean, tell me that's just not an instant upgrade. So that's really nice. But also, it's not even the players that they pulled in from other schools. Like Wayne Matthews, linebacker from Old Dominion. I'm fired up about him. But for Jonathan Smith, it was retaining the guys that entered the transfer portal just to see what else was out there. And some of them heard from big schools. Like, hey, Derek Harmon, he heard from Auburn, Ohio State, and Oregon. Picked Michigan State in the end. Simeon Barrow heard from a lot of schools. Geno Vandemark, interior offensive lineman, that they pretty much had his apartment all set up in Norman, Oklahoma for the Sooners program, but mm, snatched him back last minute. So it's just a lot of stories like that where guys that are entering the transfer portal, they actually have other Power 5 offers, some of them high Power 5 offers, but bringing them back. So it's just been a really nice transfer portal season for Jonathan Smith, better than I ever could have expected, considering how things have been here and you couldn't knock any of these kids for wanting a fresh start somewhere else after the last few weeks, Spencer, uh, that was pretty bizarre how their college season went. So it's been nice damage control by Jonathan Smith. So they go into a year in which they're frankly just trying to make a bowl game and, yeah. and they have a schedule that could allow them to do that. Now, this is a four and eight Michigan state team a year ago, but you've upgraded a quarterback. You've got a better player along the offensive line. You have some returning talent in there. The schedule is where this gets tricky for for Jonathan Smith in year one. And look, it was a slow build at Corvallis. He's not going to be in a big hurry. He's going to build his program his way. That's what he did at Oregon State. It was very successful, and they were a dark horse Pac-12 and college football playoff contender in in, in 2023. So I I think that for Michigan State, you, you start off with four games. They could win all of them. I can't see him going winless here. They could win two or three, and I think three would be great. Florida Atlantic at Maryland, Louisiana at Boston College. I I see at least two wins there. If you win one of those Power 5 games, boy, the chances of making a bowl game are very, very real. Incredibly real. No, it's great. And I'm also so excited to see uh, Talia Tungavailo of Maryland not get accepted for a 12th year of eligibility. I'm so (laughs) sick of seeing him. Tune up Michigan State. So, yeah, Fort Atlantic at Maryland, Louisiana at Boston College, just like you said. And I know Boston College are coming off of a bowl season, and you should never discount a road game anywhere in college football. Yep, agreed. But I can name harder non-conference road games than Boston College, <laughs> with all due respect to that program over there. So, yes, can you go 3-1 and one in that stretch? Well, certainly. Now, I don't know if you want to be the guy to say the next four games because this is where it gets a little I'll dicey. do it. I'll, uh, I'll, yeah. I'll do it. Ohio State yeah. at home at Oregon hosting Iowa at Michigan. That feels like one in three would be outstanding. I, if there's a contract right now where I could sign for one in three, absolutely. <laughs> uh, you got to have a feeling that it's going to be the Iowa game. That's the home game. Yes, they've changed offensive coordinators, but I got to say they hired Tim Lester, a guy that wasn't necessarily lighting it up at Western Michigan. So how much of a step forward is that Hawkeye offense really going to take? So, yeah, just on a nice sunny October day in East Lansing, first team to 15 wins. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> probably. Yeah. So yeah, that, prob- I- that, that, that probably would be the most likely one. They closed yeah. with Indiana, Illinois, Purdue, and Rutgers. Three of those four games are at home. I, I think a bowl season is within reach. I don't think it is a given, but I think that'd be a quality outcome for the Spartans in year one under Jonathan Smith. Matt Sheehan is at Sheehan underscore sports on X, formerly known as Twitter. Host of Locked On Spartans Monday through Friday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. His first, but not his last, appearance here on Locked On College Football. Matt, thanks so much for stopping by. You're the man, Spencer. Thank you. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.